You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast. This is episode number 41. We are going to hear from our good friend, Shermicia, who fought hard for her VBAC. And then we are going to talk a little bit more about women of color and their VBAC challenges. But first, guess what? We have a review of the week, and Julie's going to share that. Yay! We love getting your reviews. Guys, they totally make our day. We say it all the time, but we're just a couple of stay-at-home moms with a bunch of crazy kids. And getting reviews from you guys is so validating to us, and it really lets us know that we are making a difference in your lives. Plus, it also makes it so that more we can reach more people and more people can hear the wonderful stories that we that we share and like we're going to be sharing today. So our our review of the week comes from Apple Podcasts and it's from Carly Chamberlain who says, I have listened to episodes that make me laugh and cry. The women's body is so beautiful and I'm so grateful for this podcast for inspiration and hopes to have a VBAC. Hearing different stories gives me so much hope that I can do it too. And we are so excited for you, Carly. You left this review um, in the fall, and we hope you've had your successful VBAC by now. But let me tell you what, guys. We're about to get into an episode that I have been wanting to do forever. Forever. I would stalk Instagram pages and VBAC hashtags. hashtags. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have been reaching out to women of color and... Me and Megan are just a couple of white girls from predominantly white Utah, and I'm pretty sure that it was just really awkward for these, reaching out to these women that I don't know that have these unique circumstances just because of their race. And so I am so grateful that Shermisia is here with us today to share those challenges, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them after she shares her story with us. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. This episode is brought to you by Earth Mama Organics, our favorite company making organic herbal care for women during all stages of pregnancy and postpartum, as well as their sweet little babies. Earth Mama Organics products are ones we recommend to all of our clients, and we have both personally used their products during pregnancy and the postpartum stage to help us heal. I personally love their organic perineal balm. It feels like sitting on a cloud. After I had my VBAC, you guys, I am so serious. Secret, my father-in-law actually still uses his own jar for his hemorrhoids. He loves it. He'll never use anything else. (laughs) And I loved the taste of their third trimester tea. That mint was a perfect little ad. And I also saw a big difference in my scar after my second cesarean with using the Organic Skin and Scar Balm. Their products are incredible, and we have only listed just a few. They have everything you need and more. I mean, really, though, they even have deodorant and sunscreen. You guys, check them out. Earth Mama Organics at earthmamaorganics.com. And enjoy a special gift from them to all our VBAC Link listeners and receive 20% off everything. This promo is good through the end of April. Get your 20% off today by entering the promo code VBAC. Big thanks to Earth Mama Organics for supporting the VBAC link and check out their website on our website as well. You can find all our current sponsors at the vbaclink.com slash sponsor. All right. Well, before we get going into this amazing episode, because I can tell you right now, this is going to be amazing. (laughs) Um, I'm going to ask just some fun questions for Julie. I just have like this is something I think a lot of women might like I'd be curious to know how a lot of women find out some of these things so (laughs) question number one is well so how did you find out that you were pregnant like like when so 
I was at church with my husband and I was feeling so tired. Like I was so tired. And so I came home and in the middle of the day, I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. It was three days before my missed period. And it was my very first pregnancy. So like, it's kind of weird, right? But um, I just felt like I was. And so I'm like, I should just take a test just for fun. Even though it was the afternoon, right? And usually morning is the best time, but it was positive. So I called so my husband and I'm like, weird. I'm like, I called my husband at church and I texted him. And I'm like, you need to come home right now. Mm. I just, I felt tired and I just felt like I just exhausted oh, all yeah. weekend <laughs> and we've been trying, you know, yeah. we've been trying for a year so. So you thought you might be. Yeah. Love it. So did you ever do, you know, pregnancy reveal is quite big these days. Oh yes. Um, there's like a whole slew of videos on Facebook. Um, did you ever do anything fun or crazy to... Just kind of one, either like reveal your pregnancy or gender. So we did gender reveal parties for all of my kids. You did? Well, the first one, it wasn't a party. It was a little announcement because we found out the gender just before Christmas. And so we made a little card with the gender on it as a Christmas card that everyone in the family opened on Christmas Day. Oh, so that was fun. And then we did a gender reveal party with pumpkins for my second. And then my third was, oh, no, my third, we just had balloons and we lined up because my first two were boys and then I had two girls. Yeah. And so my in-laws and everybody came over and we just had three balloons tied up on the railing and the first two were blue. And then the third one was pink for girl. And my mother-in-law was like, is that an announcement? And I was like, yes. (laughs) And uh, it wasn't as exciting as I anticipated it. Aww. Then my third we did, or my fourth we did silly string in the oh, colors. fun, just the colors. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. Okay, and last but not least, this might be maybe too personal. Oh, geez. But <laughs> um, what was the most embarrassing thing that happened to you during pregnancy? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my gosh. I probably sh- will not share the most embarrassing thing. <laughs> okay, second most embarrassing thing. <laughs> so second most embarrassing thing was when I was at a Halloween party. At my in-laws church, they had like a chili cook-off or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had the stomach flu, but I didn't know it until I ate my first bowl of chili. And I went, this is so embarrassing, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I went in, um, I felt like I was going to throw up. And so I like ran from the like little gym area as fast as I could to Mm -hmm. get to the bathroom. But I threw up in the hallway in the church. And then I went into the bathroom and I kept throwing up in the toilet. But because I was pregnant and my pelvic floor was crap, I was throwing up and peeing at the same time. Oh, you poor thing. right? In the (laughs) church in my costume. And then like, I'm like, I have like my pee so big in my pants and my friend came in like because I've been gone for like 10 minutes because I'm like what am I supposed to do now and she comes in she's like can I do anything for you I'm like can you just bring me some pants and so she went home and got some sweatpants for me and then I was so determined to still let my kids trick-or-treat and so I uh, went around trunk or treat and then I felt like I had to throw up again. So I ran into the church and I threw up on the grass. My mother-in-law was like, you should probably just go home. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> that was really embarrassing. That would be embarrassing. Oh, man. I just had to... Sh- I just had to see what you did. <laughs> One of my embarrassing things is I peed at work, too. Oh so don't gosh. worry. Don't worry. You gotta Women, love the joys of pregnancy. Women of strength. Yes. We know you're strong, but it's okay if you pee a little. It is okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to turn the time over to Shermesia because we're excited. So without further ado, if you wouldn't mind... Go ahead and start sharing your story and any tips and tricks and everything that you have for these women. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Great stories. Yes. I think we've all peed on ourselves throughout pregnancy. Right? Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm Shermicia. Thank, uh, just like they said, my pregnancy story. So a little bit about my cesarean. My firstborn is three and a half um, now. So... I had her in May of 2015, and um, she had a okay normal pregnancy with her. Not really. Well, I will say, I didn't. Really, I never had any sickness with either pregnancy. I wasn't sick or anything like that. I worked up until like the last moment with her. The thing about that pregnancy, though, is I was extremely swollen most of the pregnancy, really from the second through third trimester and extremely swollen in the third trimester. Like I couldn't even tie my shoes. Um, 
And I would ask about it all the time. Like in that pregnancy, I changed my doctor. Okay. I, I stayed in the same clinic, but I changed doctors probably going into the second trimester because I felt like, you know, this is my first time having a baby. I didn't feel like my doctor was very much engaged um, with my pregnancy. I didn't feel like she really cared. I didn't feel like she really wanted to answer my questions. Um, so it was just kind of like, uh, you know, I went home. I'd went, I, it was December time. I'd went home, me and my husband, to be with our family in Colorado and um, celebrate, you know, being pregnant. I think I was about six months. I wasn't that big, but I was, um, you know, we were going to do a gender reveal with them. And while I was there, I was just kind of like, battling changing doctors so I did um, when I got back to Texas and I changed to a midwife and she was out of she was out of the hospital that I was in but every time I would bring up my my swelling you know everybody was like it's normal it's normal everything's normal but my hands were like sausages like I'm kind of small petite person so to have that much like fluid was kind of concerning to me but I just said you know what it was very much like everything so I was just like okay well I guess this is normal. I'll just keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing. Um, I continued to work and be on my feet and, you know, do all of those things. And um, I, let's see, it was three days before my due date. My water broke, but it didn't break. Now I know how it breaks. Yes, I will get to that. (laughs) It really didn't break. Like, I mean, you see, you know, you think, I know the TV stuff is dramatic, but it was dripping. And um, I, I, you know, I went, I felt like I was going to have the baby the last day, like the night before. I I went to work. I worked all day. That next morning around like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., I went to the bathroom and it was really wet. And uh, I said, I think my water broke. I'm sitting there talking to my husband. He's half asleep. I was like, I think my water broke. And he's like panicked. Like, oh, my gosh, call your midwife. See what's going on. And I'm really chilling because I, I had, I was um, groupie strep uh, positive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He was like, oh, you got to go. We got to go. So I was like, oh, I feel like I can, like, I don't want to have to rush. Like, I said, I'm not going to be able to eat. Like, can I just get something to eat? I'm taking my time. And he's Good. Like, he's like, no. He's like, no, no, we got to go. We got to go. So he rushes me out. I grab an apple. <laughs> and we get to the hospital. And the nurse, like, it's like 2 something in the morning. We're, we're at the hospital. The nurse monitor took me up to everything starts monitoring the baby, starts monitoring me, and she keeps looking at the monitor. She keeps coming back and forth and looking at the monitor, looking at me, looking at the monitor, looking at my husband, and I'm just chilling, like, okay, we're going to do this thing, you know? And then she turns to me, and she looks at me, and she said, have you ever had high blood pressure before? And I said, no, my blood pressure's been pretty good. You know, I've never had it before. She said, well, your blood pressure, it was something obnoxious, like, Man, 185 over nine. It was just high. Wow. And, I, and she was, it was extremely high. And she's like, do you yeah. feel weird? I said, no, I, I mean, I think I'm just in labor. I don't know, you know. And um, I said, I have a really high pain tolerance, though. Like, I'm not really, like, I don't, I feel, I feel okay. And, you know, they kept checking me, and I was barely, like, at a one. I was not dilated. Oh. So then she's like, well, your blood pressure's so high. Um, we're going to have to put you on magnesium and then put, you know, give you a, a catheter. You're going to be bed bound. And so at that point I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what is all of this? You know? And they said, so then we'll try to start giving you medicine to help you um, contract. And I forget what the first one was that they gave me, but of course they ended up giving me Pitocin, but the Pitocin and the magnesium fought each other oh, all day. Oh my gosh. Magnesium sucks. <laughs> Ugh, so it was, bad. Yeah, it was horrible. Oh. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. So I, I labored. You know, they have you had to get an epidural immediately. So I labored. Um, no, you didn't. No, I didn't have an epidural. No, I didn't. Not at that point. I was. I refused to get one. My plan was like to do natural. And yeah, um, good for you. I remember. Yeah, I remember just like fighting. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And at some point, it got like really bad. And I remember looking at my husband. I was like, I need an epidural I said I don't know how long this is going to go on I'm only at a two and this is all counterbalancing each other and I remember him saying like no this is your plan I don't I don't want you to bite my head off if I let you do this so I I I just labored all day until so I got there at 2 a.m I labored until like three 
about three that afternoon and I ended up getting an epidural and just kind of trying to wait it out. And, um, my blood pressure had went down really quickly after they gave me the, uh, magnesium. Mm-hmm. But by the time around three, it kept, you know, getting closer and closer. We got closer to five. So it's probably around four thirty. the midwife came in and checked me and I was only at a two. And mm-hmm. so, um, she was like, well, we're going to go ahead and send you back for a C-section. Mm-hmm. And I was at peace with it by that point. The crazy thing is I have a lot of dreams all the time. And I had a dream like two weeks prior to uh, my daughter being delivered. I had a dream that I was being told to push, but then I was also behind the blue curtain oh. with them showing me my baby on the, on the side. Oh, and yeah. I remember seeing her, it was the same baby's face that I got to see when they delivered her. But um, it was, so by that point, after trying all day, I was at peace with having to go back for cesarean. Yeah, and right. so, and it was good. It, I mean, we prayed and, you know, um, we'd been praying all day, but at that point, about maybe an, two hours before they did will me back, I, I was at peace with it. And I shared it with my husband and um, I, our pastor was there at the time and I shared it with him and his wife and we just went ahead and, you know, they got me ready. They got me prepped. The only thing is when they sent me back, I didn't freak out until they started willing me back. Mm. And I was just like that, that anxiety kind of hit me. And, um, you know, as they're prepping me, they realized my epidural wasn't in all the way. Like I was feeling them poke my legs with whatever they were poking my legs with. And so they had to calm me, try to get me calm to get the epidural in so they could do the cesarean. But that ended up just kind of, that ended up being a, another just big thing for me. I think for me, like, I was looking at it from a spiritual perspective, like, what am I going through all this for? And what am I supposed to take away from this experience? And so that's kind of how I took it. I got calm immediately. And then they, they you know, they proceeded. They brought my husband in and did the cesarean. And then my that same beautiful baby I seen in my dream was the same beautiful baby I got Aww. to see for a second, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So it turned out good. I mean, it was definitely not something I wanted to go through again. So it got, I mean, it was, that was a great moment, but then things got bad for me after the fact. They, I didn't keep me long. So I think I stayed in the hospital. I had to stay in labor and delivery for two days because I had the magnesium. And then I was only in postpartum for like a good day. Really? And it wasn't that long at all, and I know it was like a holiday weekend. It was like Memorial Day weekend, so I don't know what that was about. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they sent me home, and I kept telling them I had three flights of stairs to walk up when I got home because we lived in an apartment, mm-hmm. and that didn't seem to be a concern to anybody because again, and this is where we can get to the women of color thing. I I know I'm no expert, but I did I, ethnic studies and women and gender studies were my majors in college, mm-hmm. um, and then I am a black woman, right. so yeah. I can speak from that perspective. I do feel like because it's always been seen for just as a black woman that we're so strong and we can take on the world. So with that situation, I really feel like I was expected to be so strong. And even with the the, the swelling, like, why was it not a big deal? You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm saying I'm saying this, but I'm not going to I don't want to fight doctors about something, you know, that I, right. I, I'm not a doctor or I'm not a this is my profession. And so. I let them release me not knowing. So I take me, it took me an hour to get upstairs to get home. I was struggling a little bit after I got back and I ended up going right back into the hospital a week at, uh, before my daughter was two weeks. So about, she was about a week and a half. I was admitted back into the hospital with an infection from, they didn't say specifically what it was. It was either from the cesarean or it was from being open and then continuing to check me all day. Mm-hmm. I believe it was from the cesarean um, because of where I was hurting. And so mm-hmm. I, I went back to the hospital with a, a hundred and like three hundred and four temp. And that was pretty hard. That was a really, really hard thing. It, I mean, I know it took my, made my recovery hard. It made just being a first time parent hard. I realized after I had her that I definitely had postpartum depression and some yeah. postpartum, just anxiety type of things going on. You know, having my daughter taken from me at one in, at a week and a half because she couldn't be in the, they didn't have any postpartum rooms open when I first got admitted. So mm. um, she couldn't stay in the ER. She didn't have an immune system yet. So 
I was fighting immediately, you know, I was yeah. letting them know they were like, well, you know, let's go ahead and just get your daughter started on formula. Hmm. Um, since you have to be here, we don't know how long you're going to be here. I said, no, no, you guys are going to find me a, you know, postpartum room yeah. and we will transport milk back and forth from this hospital. I just need a pump. We don't need to start nurse doing supplements, mm-hmm. you know, and so I had to fight then. And then, you know, I had my breakdown then leaving my child at that point because she had to leave. Yeah. Um, so I was really not pleased with the aftermath of it. And so I said, if I ever got pregnant again, I want a different experience. And I know, you know, when I got pregnant, it was what, what three, my daughter would have been out three years almost when I got pregnant with her son from the jump from years. And no matter who it was, my mom, family, everybody assumes you have a C-section, you always will have a C-section. Yep, and right. so I was being told that for everyone. Hmm. And I said, no, like I've always been the one, You, if I put my mind to it, and I know there's another way, that's where I'm going to go with it. And so I said, no, I don't believe that. And I'm, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. If I get pregnant again, I said, I'm healthy. There's no reason why I should have to have another cesarean. If my body's capable of pushing my, my child out, that's what I was built for. Yeah. So these are the type of conversations that I'm having all year. I felt like I was pregnant all year because I had a miscarriage in January. And then... Mm. I got, you know, well, I had my son in November. So I was pregnant, I felt like, all year 2018. And so I had even more fight for him because of that, because I lost, because of the first baby that I lost and then, you know, going through that, that pregnancy. And so the pregnancy with him, I was faced with a whole lot of just kind of like pushback and a lack of understanding. Like I said, in, in around the community, people just not even knowing what a VBAC is, not knowing that it's possible, not knowing how to give you advice on how to achieve it, and all kinds of stuff. And we went to the doctor, I will speak on too, just like not even knowing that you have the resources around right. like mm-hmm. anything. So I went to it, I started, I was going to this doctor my entire pregnancy. She seemed like she was on board with what my wishes were. But again, I kind of was feeling that same thing with my first doctor. Like, you don't really want to sit down and talk to me about anything. You're kind of quick and short. You're not really looking into any of my history or anything. And so they treated me as if I was high risk because, you know, after I went into the hospital to get the infection taken care of, I realized that I had preeclampsia. No one told me that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, when I was first when I was in the hospital the first time having a C-section, no one told me, no one ever said the word preeclampsia. I never even knew what it was until I went in with an infection and the nurse was reading my chart and accidentally said it. Oh. And I was like, oh. Okay. I was like, I had what? I said, I have what? And first she said I had something else. And then she said, oh, no, you have preeclampsia. And I was still confused. But I said, I'm going to it on my own. And so, yeah, it was terrible. That is Um, terrible. So I get to the doctor and, you know, they start having me do... This, um, uh, ultrasounds every month, which is fine. I was excited that I got to see my baby every month, but I was wondering where she was getting with this. So, you know, it got to a point where it was about, I was about 34 weeks and she came in the office and she was like, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and schedule your C-section for November 19th. Mm-hmm. And when you're at third, when you're at 39 weeks, and yeah, she said, I think that's going to be the best thing because your son's really big and with your history of preeclampsia and all this stuff. Yeah, it's probably going to be the best thing to do. And I, at that time when she, she caught me on an off day, she really did. And I was like, well, okay, I guess, you know, you guys say he's going to be really big. And I had been fighting a lot emotionally, internally, just about even get, trying to achieve a VBAC and the safety of it and I was really fighting a lot because I was fighting my husband about it because I'm like, you don't support me. You don't understand this. You know, you're, you're just talking about safety's best. Like, I don't feel like I have anyone to support me. And a lot of it was me internalizing just no one understands what you're really trying to get to the man. You know, all this stuff. I was internalizing a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she caught me on an off day and I was like, fine, whatever. And I signed the paper. So that was the last appointment in between two weeks. So the next two weeks, over those two weeks, I, it's stewing in me. Like, I'm like, no, I'm not getting a C-section. That is going to be the last option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At period. You know, I said, I'm not doing it. So I discussed with my husband. He's like, well, I support whatever you want to do. Just make sure everything's safe. That's what he would say. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm when I go back to her doctor's office, I'm telling her she has to cancel it. Like, I'm not doing it. 
Um, and I said, I really don't appreciate her lack of support. Like that was a sideways thing that she just threw mm-hmm. at me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm really, I was really up in arms about it. And so in between that time, I had another ultrasound and at that ultrasound, they were like, yeah, your son's already measuring nine pounds. He's going to be really big. I don't know. You might, you might not want to keep trying to pursue a, v- a V-back, you know, mm-hmm. that's not safe, you know, all this stuff. And I didn't say anything. I just went on about, you know, I'm just going to keep fighting this thing. And so I go to this, the appointment, the next appointment, and I tell her I don't want to have a C-section. Like, it needs to be the last resort. And she seemed, like, put off that I even challenged her. And she just was like, well, he's going to be really big. She said, I won't make, I won't even push Because I was like, at least push it back. Like I said, why would you have me have my child a week prior when I have no problems with my pregnancy? I said, I don't have preeclampsia, you know, right now. And she said, you don't. I said, well, then why would you do this? And, um, you know, she didn't give me an answer. She just said, well, go to your next ultrasound and see where he's weighing. And so at that point, at that point I was just done. Like I went home from that appointment, very frustrated, I mean, so frustrated to the point I even got into another argument with my husband about it. I was just like, you got to understand where I'm coming from. I said, this woman doesn't care. I said, I have to do something. And, you know, we got into an argument because I was projecting that on him. And I was just telling him, like, you don't really understand. And he was like, what do you mean? I don't understand. I'm praying for this. And I just because I'm not, you know, it's not the way that you want. Like, we would get in all these arguments. And, um it was, it was so much pressure at that point. And so I was like, ugh, like, so one day my friend came and picked me up for lunch and, um, I had been really thinking about changing providers for a while, but I didn't know how or who and where I could go. And so I was out, my friend wanted to take me to lunch. I went to this little cafe and we were eating and I ran into this family and, uh, ended up talking to them. They were here visiting from New York. And um, I ended up talking to them after we ate and the wife started the last part of the conversation. She started talking to me about pregnancy and how she's a pregnancy advocate for teenage girls and making sure that they have, and really a lot of teenage girls in um, underrepresented communities and a lot Mm -hmm. of girls of color she, she represents. And so she was telling me, yeah, I give them a lot more resources because they don't have them. And, you know, women of color have the highest percentages of having to have C-sections and four cesareans. And she just started going on and on about this stuff. And I was like, wow, like, this is not a coincidence. And so, um, and, and I was like, well, I said, it's interesting you bring that up because I said, I really want to change providers. I said, I just don't know where. I said, I'm determined to have a VBAC. And she's like, yeah, yes, I'm pro-VBAC. Please do it. And, you know, oh she starts gosh. going on. It was, so, it, was, yes, it was so awesome. And meanwhile, I'm talking to all these people all year who don't know what a VBAC is. And so she's <laughs> like, she's like, she yes, do it. You. <laughs> so, yeah, she definitely was completely. And, and so I start talking to her about it. And I was like, well, I want to do it. But I said, I have no idea where to start. I said, I am down to be... I think I was 36 weeks when I talked to her. I was like, so I don't know what to do. She's like, well, I had I had all my kids here at um, Harris Methodist Fort Worth. She said, how far is that from me? I said, it's not really far. So it's probably about the same distance, maybe adding about five more minutes to my drive. And now, and uh, she said, they're amazing. She said, they have a nurse midwives group out of there. They're some of the best midwives. She said, um, you don't have to go to a doctor if you don't want to. And she said they respect you and, and they're pro VBAC. She said, just look them up. She said, and then she started giving me other research. She said, there's other clinics and VBAC places you can go to um, that are supporting. You know, you can go to a clinic and get, you have your baby. You don't have to go to the hospital. She started rattling off all this stuff. At that point, I was like, well, I'm going to look into it and I'm going to try to change doctors now. So I looked into it all weekend. Monday morning, I called the nurse midwives because I started finding, I between talking to her on a Friday and that Monday, I had heard about that hospital three times in passing and from, from uh, the friend I was with. She talked to a friend who had a, kids at that hospital, too. I said, so this is just too much divine connections here. What's going on? I have not heard about this hospital my entire pregnancy. So Monday, I call to see if they'll take me because I'm so late in my pregnancy. And they say, they told me to send all my records in. And, um, I did, I sent, I, well, what I did that Monday is I went everywhere. I went to my doc, my daughter's hospital, everywhere, got, grabbed all my records and sent them in. By Thursday of that week, 36 weeks, they were sending me, um, no, they scheduled an appointment for me. And I was just like, yes, 
okay, we're on this journey. So 37 weeks went in, started seeing them. They had me do a consult with the doctors that they are in partnership with the week after that. They cleared me. They said, I'm a great candidate. And then I, my due date comes up. I meet them on the due date because I, I was due on November 26th. The due date came around and I was still pregnant, not dilated, and found myself being extremely discouraged that Tuesday after my due date. Completely discouraged. Like, I shut down completely that Tuesday. Like, man, I'm not dilated. Here we go again because I failed to progress with my daughter. This is going to be, like, what's going to happen, you know? She came before her due date, but I just was really discouraged. And so that Tuesday I sat in this house and shut down everything. My husband took our daughter to the studio, our our studio, and he worked all day. She stayed with him. And um, I just, I mean, I literally, for me, what it took because, the two weeks in between that, I was looking into doulas. I was trying to figure out every possible way to keep myself at peace. At 37 weeks, I started doing dates. I uh, started eating six dates a day, doing my mm-hmm. smoothies. I started drinking uh, red raspberry red leaf tea every day, all day, cold, hot. However, you know, doing ball exercises. I stayed pretty active because I, cause, um, I have a three-year-old. <laughs> I moms know. And I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm always busy. Um, yeah, we I can was, relate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I did all of that. Oh, I started going to the chiropractor at 35 weeks, 35 weeks, which is something I didn't know you could do as you were pregnant. But I happened to be on Facebook one time and seen a pregnant woman getting chiropractor treatment and was like, thank you, God, you sent me another sign. I'm going to the chiropractor. Yes. And I'm so glad I did. Any woman you're pregnant, go to the chiropractor. Absolutely. We advocate for that. (laughs) It was so amazing. And so I continued to do that thing. I went like, I went repeatedly for three weeks and then I took a break and I went closer to my due date again for some more treatments. But yeah, I did all of that. So that Tuesday comes around and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been doing everything. Like, why why is my baby not coming yet? And so... (laughs) I just shut in. I prayed all day. I really had to get into a centered place. And I had to get to that place where, for me, because I knew I couldn't afford a doula this late in the game at all. Like, we really talked about it. We got in, we got in a fight the week before about it. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, what's a doula? And how much? You, you said, how much money? Like, <laughs> we don't have that. Been there before. So, <laughs> so you know, that just wasn't going to be an option at that time. I know if I really pressed, we'd figure it out, but it just wasn't an option at the time. And so for me, I, I mean, literally, I sat in this house and prayed and really had to get to that centered place. Like, you can't expect anyone else to do this but you and God. Like, you are in your body. No one else is in your body. No one else can fight this fight for you right here, On you know, in, in, in this time. And so... That whole day was just me kind of purging all of that crap from the last nine months, from everything, from life, from bills, from just everything, from the fights, from everything, from even just wanting people to understand why this was important and them not understanding it. And so I had to get rid of all of that. That's what I spent that whole Tuesday after doing. And then the Wednesday, he ended up coming four days, that almost five days. It was almost five days late. But, um... Not late when he was supposed to. But um, so, yeah, so Wednesday, hung out with family, finally got some time. We, we didn't work. We didn't do anything. We just watched movies and, and, and hung out with my husband and my daughter. And then um, Thursday, labor started for me early in the morning, probably really Wednesday night. I started having labor. I started having contractions and feeling pressure. And uh, it, was, it went on for that whole day, and I just was breathing and sitting on my ball. My husband woke up that morning, took my daughter again, and they went and worked. And I was just here kind of, again, more alone time, but that good time to just really just kind of eat and drink and walk around and sit on my ball. And about five, he was getting ready to come back, and um, he called me, and I was not able to answer him because I was having repeated contractions. (laughs) And I'm just kind of running and walking around the house like, well, I'm drinking my smoothie. I'm drinking my tea. Okay. You know, I, just, I don't know. Like, do I go now? I said, they're kind of close, but I'm not really monitoring them because it's hurt. But mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, you know, in and out. 
And he was like, well, you can't even talk to me. How many minutes was that? And so he was like, get in the, he said, when I get home, we're leaving. So here he goes again. (laughs) (laughs) So here he goes again. I was like, okay. So we get in the car, we leave, we go to the hospital. Because it's about 25, 30 minutes to Fort Worth from where we are. So he didn't want to chance something happening. So we get there and they monitor me. And they, they told, they gave me some kind of, not like, some, I don't think it was Tylenol. They made, they gave me some type of pain medicine to calm me down because they said you're kind of tense. And so I was like, okay. Like I contemplated for a while and I was like, okay. So they said you're having false labor because you're still not dilated. It's not progressing anything. So I was like, okay, it feels really real, but okay. So we were there for a few hours and then we came back home and when we got back home, he rested for a while, but I could not sleep. Like, these contractions did not stop at all. And I'm I'm trying to make myself sleep, but I couldn't. So I'm up on the ball. I'm up walking around. And it's about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, he's looking over at me. And he's like, are you still up? Laboring? I said, yeah, the contractions haven't stopped. They're still three minutes apart. So we ended up driving. We ended up going back. And at that point, they went ahead and they had, they admitted me. Well, I was there all morning. They admitted me probably around eight in the morning, but I was there. Um, they had me hooked up and everything because my water broke. When did my water break? No, my water broke at like six in the morning. So at that point, they had admitted me because the contractions were not stopping. They still were very intense, but they were very um, they weren't consistent. But I so I say now I know how the water breaking feels because I was on the bed. Um, I was in there having the contractions. They had me hooked up on a monitor because of my past history. They wanted to monitor me. But when my water broke, I was like, oh, okay, that's what that feels like. And I remember just kind of laughing like, oh, okay, hey, my water broke. And my husband was half asleep and passed away. And I was like, that was cool. <laughs> and, but everything started to intensify a little while, a little bit after that. And so I had made up my mind like, for most of the time, I did not want to do, I didn't want any interference. I didn't want an epidural. I didn't want any mm-hmm. um, intervention at all. But I I was in the bathroom, and this is just for me. You know, I was in the bathroom, and I'm in a lot of pain, and I'm just kind of looking in the mirror, and I'm still not very dilated at this point. By the time my water broke, I was like at a three, four. And uh, I was looking in the mirror and I just, just stared at myself and I just heard in my, in my spirit and everything, like, you don't have to be superwoman. Cause this is again, what I'm all, what we're, I mean, I can say what we're, as a black woman, <laughs> this is what we're always taught. Be superwoman, be strong. You gotta be strong. You gotta be mm-hmm. strong. You gotta be strong. And at this point I'm like, I've been fighting so hard yeah, and trying to prove this point to everybody. And I just heard, you don't have to be superwoman. And that gave me so much relief. Yeah. And I said, I just said a quick prayer right then. Like, if I don't have to be superwoman, please let me get through this and have my vaginal delivery because I don't want any interference, you know? So I mm-hmm. go back into the into the room, and I just say, at that point, I said, I want an epidural. And so it took a few hours before they could get it because a lot of people were having babies for some wow. reason <laughs> that, that night or that day because I was there all day. And so about eight thirty nine o'clock, they came and gave me an epidural, and I'm glad I got it because I was able to rest, even though my body wasn't resting. Yeah. Um, it did take a long time for me to progress. And literally, I, I tell people, I was laboring for pretty much two days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was able to rest. I took naps. I breathed. I was just able to just, me and my husband were the only ones in the room, just, just relaxing and resting and getting ready for him to come. And so every time we hit the next mark of another, you know, point dilated, I would celebrate it and then rest some more. Um, And yeah. And so it was just, it was really good. And so by the time we got closer to him, uh, he was born at, um, look, my mommy brain is really kicking in. (laughs) (laughs) He was born at nine. Let me see. He was born at nine, nine that night. Do you guys hear him? Yeah, <laughs> so, so cute. cute. <laughs> yeah, he was born at 9.48 p.m. So that's why I said it was almost five days late. So he was born 44 days, 40 and four days. And um, we thought he was going to be a December one baby, but he ended up still being born on November 30th. And the last, well, really up to the last hour, I started feeling a whole bunch of pressure. 
and a little bit of pain because I think the epidural was wearing down a little bit, but I didn't want them to fix that. I did want to feel something. Mm-hmm. So by that point, you know, they were like, well, you're pretty, he's pretty much there. And I told him, I was like, I feel like I need to push. Like, I really need to push. And I kept telling them they come back in, the midwives would come back in. I said, I need to push. They're like, we want you to, um, you know, to be open a little bit more because your first time pushing, we don't want you pushing for hours. This is what they kept telling me. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't know. Like I said, I, okay, go ahead. I'll see you in another, they said two hours. I was like, oh, okay, I'll see you in two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am sitting there like, no, this is definitely not going to happen for another two hours. So it got to a point where I literally was fighting to not push, but it just kind of wasn't going to work. And so my husband starts panicking, going to get them. He's like in the hallway. Hey, can her midwife come back? She's about to push this baby out. And so they come back in and we did, we did one practice push and they're like, okay, you're ready. And I pushed him. I think it was four series of pushes. So I pushed him out in under 15 minutes. Nice. I just was like, let's do this. Let's go. And uh, man, it, it happened so fast. But I just remember just, like a lot of people say, well, did you cry, you know, when he came out? I didn't cry. I just felt like, I felt like Superwoman. What I said, I didn't have to be Superwoman, but I felt yeah. so amazing. <laughs> like, they put him on my chest, and all I all I could say was, oh, my God, I did it. Like, Aww. yes, I did it. Um, <laughs> and just held him and just had the biggest smile on my face, like. You know, they're he's on my he's on my chest, and I'm talking about I did it, and they're like, okay, we need to push out your placenta. <laughs> they're like, okay, whatever, yes, I did it. You know, <laughs> um, but it was, I mean, everything has been so much better. Um, the fight, everything was worth it. I didn't really like, I didn't have to get a PZ out of me or anything. I I kind of ripped a little bit, like I still had a little bit of stitches, but it really wasn't much. The only reason I ripped, I know I ripped because I pushed on a non contraction. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I knew that was going to cause some damage <laughs> when I did it. Um, he has a pretty big head, but, um, <laughs> yeah, just the feeling of just being able to experience it. That's all I wanted. And I think that's all most women want mm-hmm. for a VBAC is to be able to at least have an opportunity. And that's what I wasn't going to get with the doctor. And so, and it's not about the doctor, it's the provider. She wasn't supportive. Mm-hmm. And Now, just any time I hear any story of a provider slightly even not being supportive, if you can catch it at the beginning, move doctors. If you catch it at the end, move doctors. I don't care if I would have had to leave and go to the midwives a week before or a day before, I would have did it because it's not worth it, especially if you don't know if you're going to have any more kids. You you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You don't know. And I feel like the research I did on cesareans after the fact is like they cause more complications. My mother has so many complications. She's had so many She's had three, three live children and nine, seven to nine pregnancies. No, mm. like I just, I mean, I refuse to continue that cycle yeah. um, and be told that I can't do something that I was create. my body was created to do. And so um, I fought tooth and nail, you know, every step of the way, not feeling, you know, a lot of time not feeling like I had the opportunities, um, especially with, you know, whether your health insurance, whatever kind of, you know, coverage you have. You know, sometimes you're you left, you're left feeling like, well, I can't I can't get the best treatment, I can't get the best care, but there's always someone out there, there's always something for you. And the um, and I'll shout them out again. The acclaim if you're in the DFW area, the acclaimed nurse midwives out of the Harris Methodist Fort Worth group in that hospital, everybody is amazing. They're pro VBAC. They everybody celebrated me. No one ever mentioned cesarean. Oh, no one, they, they said, we won't even talk about induction until you're well into getting closer to 42 weeks. Like they, and they said there are induction methods for women who've had cesareans. Don't let, you know, they were like, I don't know why anybody would Love tell it. you otherwise. Yeah. Love you know? it. <laughs> we need so more of them around. It was, and mm-hmm. that was even the doctor that they sent me to for a consult just to nice. clear me. She was absolutely amazing. Her last name, I think, was uh, Hodges or Hughes. If people want to go to a physician, you know, she just had a baby herself, so she's probably on maternity leave or about done on it. I think we were due around the same time. But all of them were absolutely amazing. My nurse, my nurse after in, in postpartum, she said she requested me specifically because I had a VBAC, and she mm-hmm. had one um, la- the year last year crazy thing is she actually went started with the same provider that 
I that the you started same doctor's with? office that I started with. Wow. The first that made that made her get a cesarean when she didn't need one. Mm. And so it's crazy that we we re- we realized we had similar practices. But I said this is a problem though because yeah. there's a lot of women you know that are not getting the opportunity to experience. Again, there's nothing wrong. We all know there's nothing wrong with the cesarean if you need it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that I don't think it should be easily given or handed out. Like, right. and, and I will say for me, and I know I've heard this on you guys' um, podcast too, you know, my, my, my due date was around Thanksgiving. I know good and well my doctor was trying to get that thing scheduled yep. right before Thanksgiving, that yep. Monday before. It she happens she did sure. not want to, mm-hmm. she didn't want to push it out. I understand, you know, she has a three-year-old and she had a two sets of twins that were probably about seven months by that point. I get it, but not at my expense. You know, mm-hmm. and and not at my expense with you making more money as well because it's convenient for you. I just could not, I couldn't do it, and I just wouldn't do it. I didn't feel comfortable with that. I wanted my child's birthday to be the day that they were supposed to come in this earth, not when I scheduled it. Yeah. Again, it's everyone's. Everyone has their own thing, you know. No shade, mm-hmm. but that was just not okay for me. So, I, I the recovery has been absolutely night and day. You know, and I know for me with my cesarean, I had an infection, so I don't really know, I guess, what a real recovery looks like. But I, I mean, I go to my six week checkup tomorrow and I feel like I've been able to better bond with my son and take care of my. That was the thing, too. I didn't want to be trying to hobble, hobble over with stitches in the middle of my abdomen mm-hmm. running after a three year old. <laughs> like, and that was just I just really didn't want to have to do that. You know, I did not want to have to do that. So. Yeah, that's my VBAC story, and I think that you, what you guys are doing is so amazing and it needs to just be heard by millions of people. And I think every community, like definitely yes. women of color, they need to know that this is out there and that there are people like you who are advocating for this knowledge and, and for people to know that your body, you can get it. You can have it happen. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just, they omit the option completely. I have several friends who are pregnant right now and they have just wiped out the option of even being able to have a vaginal delivery yeah. after having a C-section. Don't even entertain it. Yeah. And that's just crazy to me. Yeah. yeah that's crazy to me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I just wanted to talk a little bit about, the challenges that women of color face just generally in the birth world and uh, also specifically related to VBAC. But I just kind of want to preface this with like Megan and I were just a couple of white girls. Like I said in the beginning, we're from Utah, who is which is mostly white. But we've been around enough to know that women of color are treated differently in the birth space. And if it feels awkward and uncomfortable coming from a white girl talking about it, then let's just let it sit and be awkward and uncomfortable because I feel like that's the first step of really causing a change. But just like women or just like first time parents and VBAC parents are are different and treating them the same is like a big disservice to the VBAC women. In order to fully support women of color, we need to acknowledge that there is a difference in how they are treated in the birth space, just like VBAC women are. And if you are a, a, a woman of color going after a VBAC, that is extra hard. Did you know that black women are twice as likely to have a C-section and three to four times more likely to die during childbirth? Like that is the reality that we face in the United States today. And no matter how much education a black woman gets or how much money she makes, those statistics are the same, no matter the level of education. And to ignore that fact denies this reality that women of color face living in American society today. So standing in the discomfort, like I said, I'm just this white girl talking about how women of color are treated, but standing there in that discomfort and truth is a first step towards finding the answer. And it is kind of a little awkward for me, like stalking black women who have feedback on Instagram and messaging <laughs> them. Like, I know that um, every everyone has a different preference about um, using the word women of color or people of color or black or African-American. And there's this big shift. And, I, and I'd always like before I reached out, 
try and be extra sensitive to that as well. And, and just that like a little bit of discomfort in me testifies to the big challenges that we have to face as birth workers and as birth professionals. And at the VBAC link, we advocate and we rally for increased access to VBAC across the world but especially the United States, because we have such a bad history uh, with cesarean and maternal and infant mortality rates. So in order to really have complete access for all women, we need to address the issues that women of color face in the birth space. So the more attention it gets and the more we stand up for ourselves and for our women of strength of other races, that is how we make a difference in and change. And guess what? Guys, there is a group called Black Mamas Matter. You can find them at blackmamasmatter.org. And guess what? They have this year in 2019 is going to be their second national Black Maternal Health Week. And April, as you know, is National Minority Health Month. And the International Day for Maternal Health and Rights is April 11th. So the Black Maternal Health Week is April 11th through April 17th. So the cool thing is they have all sorts of activities and webinars and they do Twitter chats through the whole week. And if you're a birth professional or you're an advocate and you want to help support the change that the that women of color receive pursuing VBAC and pursuing birth generally, they have social images they've made. They've had videos. They have infographics. They even have sample posts written out that you can take and post on your social media pages to advocate for and increase the awareness of how differently women of color are treated. And so right now it's February. So April is two months away, so it gives us two months to to ramp up and to really spread the awareness for Black Maternal Health Week. And guess what? You just watch our Instagram and our Facebook in April because we are going to be hugely advocating for this, and we are so excited. And thank you, Shamisia, for um, letting this weird white girl from Utah... um, talk about these issues with you today because we feel it's really important and we know that that you do as well yes thank you guys i did not know that i am super duper excited to uh, support that like listen yeah we're women we should all be able to rally behind each other and we should all be able to have the same access for our bodies for our babies for our wombs yes that is dope i love it Absolutely. And guys, look, check out the show notes. We have a new blog up today all about women of color and the specific challenges they face. We're going to link to the Black Mamas Matter website about Black Maternal Health Week. So check it out, thevbacklink.com slash blog. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.